everybody, hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Make some noise and clap it up, get excited wherever you are. We are back with another jam-packed episode for you today with a whole bunch to cover in the world of sports. That's right, we now have new developments in the whole saga of Canelo on top of having to cover Edgar Belenga and his performance. Has he earned the right to be able to face off against Canelo in the sweepstakes of the Immortals, as it's being called or as it's being built, as well as some stuff to cover in the NBA, like do we need to take the Boston Celtics? seriously now after the all-star break with their ripped up production this season they'll look like a serious threat and much more we have to cover on this show so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening and please leave a like on the video comment your thoughts and opinions subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together we have crossed the 900 mark for subscribers that is right we did it we are moving quicker than ever i'm so excited we're almost there less than 100 to a thousand and we can make it happen right here for you with your support and thank you for all the support and love y'all have been showing already all the comments all that stuff interacting this is becoming a real community quickly and i'm excited for it and maybe we soon we can make some moolah with all this stuff. sponsorships coming our way oh yeah more guests or maybe excuse me we'll re-add guests bigger and better maybe we have Shaq, alan iverson who knows maybe even mike tyson will come be whoa look, add the, the possibilities are endless for what we can do <laughs> for this show but it's all up for you or it's all thanks to you and your support that we're able to make this so possible. So thank you again for watching and supporting the channel. Keep on sharing, keep on listening. And without further ado, let's jump right into the world of boxing for our first topic. We got a fight to break down. And because of that, it is time to step into the ring. That's right. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one of this show or this entire show underway underway and of this boxing segment we need to discuss what happened with Edgar Berlanga versus McCrory mind you this fight was supposed to be the the uh, uh excuse me I got tongue tied for a second this fight was Edgar Berlanga's ticket to the mega stage the big stardom living up or rather reaching the heights that he seemed like he was on a fast track to Early on in his career, which is what, 16 knockouts in a row, record that tied for the most knockouts to start a career in history, it looked as though that he was set for success. It looked as though the trajectory for his career was sky high. But as we know, his last five fights up until this McCrory fight were not didn't end in knockout. And not only that, he didn't look spectacular, let alone he looked like he was out of his element. Yes, he won, but... At what cost? And that cost was an inability to improve. Consistently looking like he was out of sorts. In deep water in terms of when he elevated his competition. He wasn't able to perform at the same dominating level. Nowhere close. Yes, he still earned knockdowns. Absolutely. He would consistently get countered. He would consistently be outworked. More often than I would like to see from somebody who is a supposedly a heavy-handed bulldozer in Berlanga. Somebody like Berlanga was getting beat. Even though, yes, he was winning fights, you could tell, oh, man, this brother's got a lot of holes he needs to work on. He is not there yet in any way, shape, or form. He's looking bad in his wins. Now, against McCrory, this was his one and potentially only opportunity, especially if he lost his fight, to be able to get to the highest of shelves in terms of his trajectory in boxing. Yes, early in his career, I'm saying that, but it's true because of he was looking so mundane in all of his other fights. Now, this fight, if he won, boom, gets that Canelo. And what did he do? Knocked him out in six. Phenomenal knockout. Looked impressive. Looked spectacular. In my opinion, punched his ticket into the sweepstakes for him to be able to fight Canelo. Now, will that happen? We will get into that right after this breakdown. Don't go nowhere. That's coming right after this. But it's strictly sticking to the breakdown. We need to discuss what did this do and what did he show. And what he showed, to me, wasn't really all that much. Wasn't all that much at all. I was not impressed with what we saw from Edgar Blanco. 
I was not impressed at all with what we saw from this man in terms of his ability or up until this point to show any substantial improvement in his skills. Well, let's touch on the good. More first and foremost, he was able to utilize better defense than I've seen in his totality of his career up until this point. He was getting out of the way of punches. He was using agility. He wasn't being too aggressive in terms of trying to just land his power all the time. Great. Downloading his opponent, looking to see what he was going to do, looking for openings for big shots. Because again, with his power, one hitter is a one hitter quitter is all he needs to be able to get it done. He's got that is real. That is real. Regardless of what we want to say about the no knockout streak for the last five fights. No, it's real. In terms of he can still put you out with one go. The heavy hands are still there. Now, he's looking for more optimal ways to land them, which I love. He was attacking the body of McCoy. McCoy was moving. McCoy was 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 dancing. Well, not dancing. Also hopping around the ring, putting Belanga off balance while still being aggressive and sporadic and would become the aggressor in this fight for the first couple rounds, putting it on Belanga in terms of the amount of pressure and activity that he was doing and the punches he was throwing. He was landing some solid shots, don't get me wrong, but it was the composure of Berlanga in this fight that, hey, even with all of this, I'm still going to wait to land the optimal shots which I love, showed that mentally he's gotten better. All those punches that he used to do from when he would win, and but he has something to work on, hey, maybe they're finally paying off. But even with that being said, some caveats there. While he did some good, while he did close the show phenomenally, while he did open up when he saw an opponent hurt, while he was able to show some semblance of mental improvement, it still wasn't what it needs to be at this stage when he needs to fight Canelo. Because for the good that he had, there was so much more bad. Like the fact that he wasn't utilizing his jab. A lot of the punches that he would throw in this fight were punches thrown nakedly. They weren't thrown with any setup, really, to land the shot. It would either be trying to catch him with a counter or just nakedly throw whatever punch he was trying to throw without any setup, without any jab without anything to get the attention of the opponent to go one way before you land another. No real, I'm not going to say direction, because he had a direction, but it wasn't ideal because it wasn't backed by anything to make or set up anything bigger. He wouldn't utilize his jab nearly as much. That could have been the main thing to keep McCoy off of him, and he wouldn't have won the first three rounds in my estimation if, in fact, he had utilized that jab more. He wasn't able to really make it, or, or, or more quickly rather, stamp his mark on this fight up until later in the rounds when against McCrory, with respect to him, this should have ended earlier. This could have ended earlier. But his hesitancy to throw the jab and instead throw naked shots, what did it cause him to do? Caused him to get countered again in this fight multiple times. Caused him to lose some momentum and have to work from the back trying to gain it again. Because it was about to look like another story that we had seen before from Edgar Berlanga. Power, athleticism, strength. He's aggressive. He wants to win. But he's constantly, of his last five fights, looks unimpressive and looks as though he's always coming from the back end, trying to gain a knockout or trying to work his way from the back to earn a knockout, to hurt his opponent. Working from down on the cards rather than breaking even or you're up or you have control. Didn't seem like he had control until later in the fight when he caught and hurt McCoy. Once that happened, that's when stuff shifted. That's when the tide changed. That is when we got to see Berlanga shine at his best. But still, in this fight, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough, in my estimation. There's still so much to learn. There's still, with how offensively centric he is, it still isn't refined enough to be able to compete at that elite level. The power's there, absolutely. But beyond the power, 
there's still a lot of fundamental learning that needs to be done from Berlanga. He's not there yet. He just isn't. But either way, he earned his shot. Despite being a slow starter, despite not using his jab to set up better combinations earlier on, nor to even sway McCrory from being so aggressive in the first three rounds of the fight. It's, it, mentally, it's improving, but it still ain't where it needs to be. He can still be put in the corner. He can still get trapped. He can still get lulled into a false sense of security. While defensively, he is better, like I said before. There's a lot that he hasn't fixed yet that he still needs to improve on before I can say, okay, yeah, he's ready for somebody like Kendall. But with all of that being said, changing gears, now that he's won the fight, now that he won in spectacular fashion, like we were looking for him to do in KOing McCoy, where does this put him? Where does this put him in terms of will he be able to fight or will he be able to, to get his shot at Canelo? Well, that brings us to the next segment of the show. Talking about Canelo as a whole. This man has put us on an absolute roller coaster. I still got Twitter up right now on my computer waiting to see if any updates come because there's been a slew of just news after news after news of what the world's happening with Canelo. Now we find out that Canelo has left the PBC to a shot to us all. When we all thought that there was a three-fight plan with this brother to be able to fight first Charlo and then potentially either the other Charlo or Jaime Mugia or Terrence Crawford even, and in any way, shape, or form, it was going to be at the end of that contract was David Benavidez. Now, come to find out what's being reported it looks like PB, uh, PBC and Canelo parted ways. Reason being, PBC reported agreed to pay Canelo guaranteed money against Jamal Charlo, brother Jamal Charlo, who he already beat. And, but only with the promise of him fighting David Benavidez right after. However, with that being the case, the problem was we now know, or what is being reported, and apparently that person referred to Charlo fight was reduced on top of the fact that because Canelo hadn't agreed to, or because rather Benavidez wasn't one of the agreed to potential opponents in the initial contract that they had put together with, with the PBC. He didn't want the fight to happen. Hence, next, now he's a free agent looking to potentially go most likely to the zone working with Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn saying he can make that fight happen with Benavidez. All because PBC doesn't want to work with anybody else outside of their street, whatever the case may be. I'm not here to get into that because there's other people that are more in tune and can give you better quality information. Have more resources than me to justify or rather to back up that claim. I'm just telling you what's being reported and what's being said from Eddie Hearn. And from my opinions from these statements, from these reports, from everything that we have now divulged, it looks like. Shoot, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what the worst Kendall is going to do. And it's tough for me to say, because I try to be as in tune with the stuff as possible, as understanding of everything, but it's convoluted. It's incredibly convoluted. Because Why is it that the only reason, mind you, if this is in fact true, and Benavides wasn't one of the initial potential opponents that was on the table during the whole contract negotiation with Canelo and the PBC and Al Heyman in the first place. Why is it that all of a sudden stuff is falling apart? Better question is why is it that Benavidez wasn't in the conversation first and foremost on this PBC deal? Because he's with the PBC. The biggest reason why we thought that Canelo versus the P with the PBC rather was going to be huge wasn't just because of, oh man, it's a big move from a big name to another promoter. But it's the fact that who's on that side of the street with their promotion? Terrence Crawford, Charlo Brothers, Mungia, and ultimately David Benavides. That was the biggest name on anybody. Benavides is with PBC. Canelo's coming to PBC. Canelo's got three fights. At the end of those fights... The third fight's got to be Benavides. It makes all the sense in the world. 
Doesn't it? Does it not make sense? Yes, it does. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Because that's the biggest name and the biggest fight that the PBC can make at this point. It is. Benavides, is a, Benavides and Terrence Crawford are the biggest money makers in terms of revenue, name, and value. Errol Spence is also one of them, though his stock may be hurt, but he's still beloved by the people, myself included. But those two, Crawford and Benavides, the biggest. With Canelo there, boom. Made all the sense in the world. At minimum, Benavides. That fight has to happen, but it didn't. And now, reported he wasn't even on the table. Allegedly, based on what the reports are saying. From Dan, was it Dan Ratcliffe? Ratcliffe? Can't, hopefully I'm saying his name right. My apologies. Dan R. will say that he works at ESPN. This is, it's terrible. Now, now that he's a, now that he's a free agent. Berlanga's with the zone. And Mung, well, excuse me, Mungia's not with the PBC. My apologies. Mungia's with the zone, I believe. My apologies. Now we could see Canelo versus Mungia or Canelo versus Edgar Berlanga. And from a money-making standpoint, most likely it's going to be Mungia. It's already being reported that Mungia has been chosen by Canelo to be faced already. Just need waiting on the official announcement. Again, all of this is speculation based on sources and reports all throughout Twitter. Checking once, checking twice, checking three times, trying to make sure that the same things being reported by multiple people. I'm trying to do my work. <laughs> I mean, I had the resources yet, but those who do, I'm fact-checking them, trying to make sure that they are actually correct in this sentiment. And since they, it seems like everything's lining up for Mungia versus Canelo, like Berlang is, he's, 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 he's out. He didn't hurt him that he won, but it's just, he's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be Jaime Mungia. On in May, on May 4th, on Cinco de Mayo. Because somebody's going to fight on Cinco de Mayo. And if anybody, if it ain't Benavidez, hey, we covered this on the show before. Jaime Mungia, phenomenal fighter, aggressive fighter, entertaining fighter, who is tough, who will give Canelo a world of problems in his own right because of his legitimate aggression and skill set and his experience. He's a phenomenal pick, don't get me wrong. He's just not Benavidez. Said this on the show in the past. Said this on the very clips that you can see on YouTube on this channel. He is not, in terms of Jaime Mungia, he is not the fighter I want to see. He is not, in my opinion, fully ready to fight Canelo. Nor is he the best matchup for Canelo. The best matchup for Canelo and the fighter who is fully and completely ready and who's earned the right more than anybody else has been and currently is and forever will be most likely David Benavides. That's the only man who's earned more than anything the right to fight. Yeah, the, the whole thing with him getting offered fifty-five million from Al Heyman to fight David Benavides, will he accept? Apparently, that was never actually a thing. All that again, it's a bunch of stuff floating around. Point being, the fight with Benavides isn't happening. Most likely, it's looking like Mungia on the zone is going to be the fight. On May 4th, single the mile. But either way, this is hard. This is terrible. And I hate it. And what have we said before? Stuff like this has to be called out. What do we call this? We call this a duck. We have to at this point. Because there is no reason that this shouldn't happen. None whatsoever. The very fact that Benavides was in, in the vicinity and per what's being said, not my opinion, per what's being reported, if he was going to get a purse, guaranteed, like he had gotten the purse guaranteed for all his other fights on the deal, like the fight with Jamel Charlo, if he was getting purses guaranteed on the behest that he fights Benavides, Though Benavides may not have been one of the talked about opponents initially, you still, if the report was true, got offered $55 million. And 
still didn't take the fight. Though it seems like that was the only reason why you went to the PBC in the first place to sign with them. Because some of the biggest names like Crawford, who you were, who have been calling you out and who could have been a mega fight if it got made. And Benavidez, who has been calling you out and is a mega fight if it would have gotten made. With all the money that was reportedly thrown at your direction. Guarantees and all. And you didn't take the opportunity. I, I don't. I don't understand. We have to call this a duck. We have to at this point. There was no good reason. Really not to. If any, At minimum. If it was that the purchase was reduced. But you demanded that you wanted to see. Okay. If you're going to. If, if if you do this, then you pay me even more for the Benavidez fight after this, guaranteed again. Okay, and they don't do it. Hey, we got another conversation. Because I get it with fighters and athletes trying to get their money. However, to a certain extent, stuff has to stop. And this, I don't know what else to call this except for he ducked. This, he, he, there's no quality reason. No quality reason that Benavidez wasn't even on the list in the first place for Canelo and the fact that he got put on the list for potential opponents. And that was one of the straws that broke the camel's back. That's a problem. That is a major problem. He says that he isn't scared of anybody. He says that he will fight anybody, Mexican or not. Because he, 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 he said himself, he nobody beats this Canelo, and the hottest name in the land for Canelo to fight has been Benavides, who has made weight every time to try to stay around for Canelo. Now he can't do it no more. He's moving up. Would have came back down if, in fact, the deal was accepted, or if, in fact, he got called upon. But he didn't. Didn't get called upon. Wasn't given the opportunity. Hence. Moving on. Should have been a mandatory already. Should have been deemed mandatory by any of the belt commissions. With how highly he ranks in all of the belt rankings that Canelo currently holds. I believe he's I, I believe he's an interim champ right now. So that should already put him in line even more to be able to fight against Canelo. And yet it's not happening. We have to call this a duck at this point. Just like I did with Tank. Just like I did with Tyson Fury. Just like I called out with Floyd Mayweather, this stuff is ducking activity, avoiding the competition. You, I, no. Now, if in fact he goes to the zone and that fight gets made, okay, boom, we take it off. We, we No longer do we have to deem it a duck because, hey, got the money that he wanted and still fought the best opponent possible. Okay, no problem there. If he goes to the zone, fights Jaime Mungia, and then fights Benavidez, okay, we have no issue. None whatsoever. Again, Mungia is a tough opponent. Him fighting Mungia instead of Benavidez isn't necessarily bad activity. No. Because that fight is a quality fight. And he is strictly, he's in the running more than Berlanga ever should be. But the point still stands. While that's a quality fight, it's not the fight that we want to see, nor the fight that should be deserved of Mungia more than it should be for David Benavides. It's not that Mungia doesn't deserve a shot. Yes, I've said that I don't think he's, he's equipped to beat him, though he will give him a lot of trouble. I don't think he's ready for him yet. But still, quality fight can give him problems, can make some trouble. Despite everything I've said in my not, not, not preview of if that fight were to be made, how I would feel, which you can check out on YouTube right now, on the channel. But it's still going to be a good fight. No problem there. But he can't take that. But then not take David Benavides. Because David Benavides should have been in Mungia's position First and foremost, if that fight does get made with, it's all 
It's 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 all just it's 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 petty stuff. A lot of stuff is petty stuff. Frustratingly petty. And it shouldn't be. We shouldn't be having these types of conversations. It should just be we gotta fight. Boom. Stuff is agreed upon. It's happening in May, September. We're gonna make these things go. Bing, bang, boom. No more debating over discussions. Who's A side, B side? Who's deserving more than the other? Who's got the cachet, the name value? Talent and merit gets you the opportunity. And if somebody gets there, okay, you got to fight. Scared or not. Intimidated or not. Whatever the circumstances are, you got to fight them. It would make boxing discourse so much easier and so much more exciting. Rather than having to argue, debate, mediate, ruminate over just mundane, no, not, not going to say mundane stuff, but the business side. Not saying the business side isn't important. But if they we're talking about the business side of boxing more than the actual sport itself, that's a problem. That's like talking about the NBA contracts more than talking about the actual production in the MVP race in the NBA. That's what this is. That's like talking about a quarterback's contract for the majority of the season rather than the actual games that are being played in the playoff race that is ensuing in the matchups against big-time NFL squads. This shouldn't be that we're having this continuous conversation trying to necessarily pad, not even pad, trying to make content if we're content creators, if we're analysts, if we're people covering the sport or the sports world in general. We should not be, and you, the fans, shouldn't have to listen to this type of conversation consistently. Because this is not what we as fans, as analysts, as experts who do this stuff. I'm not saying I'm an expert or not. I know what I know. And that's all I know. I will let you be the judge of that. But the point being, we shouldn't be talking and debating about these types of topics. Who deserves more money? Was it that he was getting underpaid? Is he the A side or B side? Does he deserve a shot or not? Well, that we can't discuss. Yes. Let me phrase it. That we can discuss if he deserved a shot. But. This type of stuff, oh, he's too big for this man. Oh, he's too good for this man. He shouldn't waste his time. All of this stuff, whether it's Tank, whether it's Ryan, whether it's Devin Haney, whether it's Canelo, whether it's Tyson Fury, whether it's Francis Ngannou, anybody in the realm of boxing specifically, we should not be talking about contracts and money to this high of a level to where it overtakes the fights that we want to see. It shouldn't be this way. This isn't how boxing is supposed to work. This isn't how the sport that I love is supposed to operate. We want athletes to get their money. Absolutely. But at some point in time, are we have to ask, are they pricing themselves out too highly? Are they making themselves bigger than what they actively are? Especially for where the sport is right now. Are they going out of their way to mitigate, or not mitigate, to muddy up these types of talks because they think too highly of themselves. And I don't say this lightly, but it's come to a point in time where we have to look and say, look, you're a big star, but how big are you should dictate where you can actually negotiate. And if you keep pricing yourself out like this, we lose interest and we don't get fights we want to see. Hence, with all the momentum that we got last year, it's going to die off. It's going to die off. It really is. And it's frustrating. We shouldn't be having to wait until May, June, and July for the slew of big time matches. Like in a way fighting Neri. Like um Tyson Fury fighting Usyk. Like Bevol versus Better Beef. All that's happening in the summer, which I'm ecstatic for. But why can't we have all year round stuff? Like we had last year. Like we used to have back in the 80s, 70s, the 90s even. Dare I say the early 2000s? We shouldn't be having these conversations on a daily basis when it comes to these types of fighters. When it comes to the matches that we want to see. Speculating why it did or didn't happen. Speculating who's deserving who's not deserving of money. 
speculating who is in fact too big for an opponent versus who's actually deserving. It shouldn't be this type of discourse. You fans don't deserve this type of discourse. Nobody that follows the sport, that covers the sport, should have to bear this type of idiotic discourse on a constant basis in terms of everything else but the fight. That shouldn't be what this sport is about. That's what it's turning into. Who's ducking who? Who's avoiding who? Who's not getting in the ring with who? Oh, he, the, the reasons why he's not getting in the ring with him. Oh, he's too big for him. Oh, you can't. He can't bring in enough revenue. Oh, his value isn't big enough. Oh, he can't bring enough viewership. Oh, he's a pillow-fisted fighter. Ah, he won't be able to actually put butts in seats. But just get in the ring. Just get in the ring. If he's that pillow-fisted, put him out. Knock him out. If you ain't got nothing to worry about, walk through him. If you think you're outclassing somebody, they don't deserve to be in the ring, fine. Make the fight with a sooner and quicker date in terms of training camp since you're saying he doesn't require all that much time and get him out of there. Whoever this opponent is, if you think they're not on your level, okay, take the fight and just make it happen and shut up the noise right then and there. Make it so that they don't got to worry about him no more because he's no longer a factor in any of these conversations. Just, just go through. That's the easiest thing to do. Easy, that, that, that never made sense. An easy fight that can make you a paycheck. Plain and simple. You can make a highlight reel and get spectacular type KOs. Boom. Now your cash and revenue can go up even more in the next fight. Keep on building up your resume. Up until now, you name everybody wants to call. Like David Benavides. Went through, beat out everybody else in the division. Beat out most of the opponents that Canelo faced himself. And what did he do? Now made himself undeniable. Made himself the only name that anybody wants to see Canelo fight. The only one. The only name. Despite Canelo losing to another opponent in B-Roll. This man, Dave Benavides, cleaned out everybody, KO'd Durrell, beat up Caleb Plant worse than Canelo, beat him up, though Canelo knocked him out. In terms of the outright beating, Benavides just, just hurt him to kingdom come. And beat Boo Boo Andre. He, he, he went and just cleaned house on the entire super middleweight division. And did everything he was supposed to do. Now that he did that, his value is incredibly high. His name is undeniable. Chanted throughout the masses. He is one of the names that we can only think about. He has become so big that he is attached permanently to the biggest name in boxing. And how did he do that? He beat everybody else who wasn't Canelo. It's that simple. He beat everybody else that wasn't Canelo. He beat every other legitimate name that wasn't Canelo. And just said, okay, if I can't face him and you don't belong in the ring with me, okay, I'll beat you. I'll knock you out in a phenomenal fashion. Then I'll move up. Who else do I need to fight? You? Okay, boom. Done. Out. Put him in the hospital. Did that with everybody. Did it with everybody. Didn't wait around. Now he's moving up. Now he is moving up. Going to light heavyweight. What will he do? Keep on doing the same thing. Earn his shot. It, it's, we shouldn't be having these conversations. We really shouldn't. This shouldn't be how we operate. In terms of how we discuss boxing. Sports in general. Should not be this much of a circus. That's what this is. A circus. Yes, the sports realm is the sports realm. We love sports media. I'm in sports media. I'm trying to be the biggest in the world. And hey, with your help, we can make it happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point, point is, we, you deserve better. You as fans, you, 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 and you, all of you watching this, you deserve better in terms of talking and discussing this sport. You don't deserve fandom. You don't deserve biased. You don't deserve 
having somebody or, or tearing down another fighter just because they're not another person's favorite fighter. You don't deserve to have talks of A-side, B-side be the driving force behind whether somebody is a good matchup or not. You don't deserve ducking conversations being the only conversation that we have to drive the sport. If you watch this sport or sports in general, you should, this shouldn't be how media covers this. But it's all we have because that's all that's going on. If fighters only fight a couple times, two. Kendall wants to fight three times a year. Mike would fight 15. Shigui Robinson would fight once every couple of days. Rematch the next week. It's stupid what they would do back then. I say stupid in a kind way. It's stupid as it is incredible. Almost illogical by today's standards. But they did it. The golden age of boxing went this way, worked this way, operated like it's supposed to operate, earned their shot, won belt, you fought. If you think you're better, get in the ring. If you don't think you're better, still get in the ring. It doesn't matter. You're going to be forced to get in the ring because you can't move up if you don't beat anybody. No matter how, even if they moved smartly, still, it was sooner rather than later they had to step into the ring with some real competition. And they shut up all that noise over who would be who. That's it. You reigned, you reigned. You lost, you got back. Wasn't who's avoiding who. Wasn't who's trying to be the biggest name in the world. It's just straight up, you earned the right to be the biggest name. Which, hey, nowadays, Canelo has done. No problem there. But beyond that, the discourse surrounding him and every other named boxer is so muddied with just mess, fluff, outright innocuous things that don't add anything to the sport, really, outside of, okay, we get to see all the mess that goes on in the business side of the sport, which is indeed mess and makes this sport look more like a travesty than an enjoyment that we all want to watch every time it comes on. That's all. We're highlighting the absolute travesty that the business side of boxing is all because that's all we have to go on. Because that's becoming a bigger story than the actual fight itself. Which it shouldn't be. You all don't deserve to have that as the driving force behind content that you watch. Hopefully I don't do, hopefully I do a good job of not making that into just blase type content. Blase type analyst. It, 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 this shouldn't be what I, nor you, especially you, have to witness and hear on a day-to-day basis. It shouldn't be that we talk about the business more than the fight. The fight should be the business, not the other way around. It shouldn't be. The most intriguing fight that we've seen in boxing is who can call whose bluff at the negotiation table. Who can do what to what promoter? What promoter can out-promote another? Who's got the biggest bag that they can throw around or that they can attain rather than who can put on the best fight and what fighter can perform the best against the best? That's the type of discourse that we deserve, that you deserve. Not this. This. No. This shouldn't be. It's, it, it's a travesty that it is. Travesty that it is. But moving on from the boxing realm into the world of the NBA, we need to discuss what's going on with the Boston Celtics. Because my word. Hey, look at this. We got some problems here. We got some problems here. We have some problems going on in the NBA. And good problems for one team and bad problems for everybody else. And that is the Boston Celtics. This team in Boston has, as the season has gone on, my gosh, it looks like they put it together. This team has got the best record in the entirety of the NBA. It's reported, not reported, speculated. 
on their trajectory. Looking like they're going to get to 45 wins before anybody else could win 60-plus on the year. Has one of the best defensive and offensive outputs that this league has today. It's insane what this team has done since their moves with Porzingis and June Holiday. Those two pieces have changed this organization for the better. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how good this team is. They're unavoidable. They are unavoidable. They're undeniable now. After the All-Star break, still having this, in, in fact, having better production than they were before. It, this is the time for Boston. If anybody was going to get a shot at a title and actually get over the hump, this is it. We've been saying for years that Boston has been 18, not 18, the team in the East. That if anything was looking like they were ready to build a title, win a title. After the Bucks, who already got one, it's the Boston Celtics. It's Boston with Jalen Brown, with Jason Taylor, with Al Horford, with that entire squad that they have around. That team is built to win. Yes, they are. But they just couldn't seem to get it right. No matter how good they looked in the regular season. Like when they got to the finals a couple years ago against the Warriors. When they looked like this was their time to shine. Against a Warriors squad that was beatable. That they had the talent and the personnel and the offense and the size. To match up, outmuscle, outmaneuver and beat them outright. They had it. They had it all. And they folded. Dayton Tatum wasn't as spectacular. At times, it was Jalen Brown taking more of the production and actively taking control more than their best star player. And then come last season, oh boy, uh, just it collapsed, seemingly. Jalen Brown, getting, Jalen Brown getting clowned for not being able to go left. Boston, while he still had a great personnel, just didn't, didn't feel the same. Now, this new rejuvenated energy that this leprechaun squad has got to offer. Oh, it's looking it's looking mighty dangerous now. With Derek White playing phenomenally as well. This squad is it. This is it. This is this this is it's time to pop the clutch and get it going. There's no longer, okay, we can be a threat. We are the threat. We're back to we are the team to be. That's where Boston's at right now. Over the Timberwolves, over the Nuggets, over LA, over the Clippers, even with them being having a great season this year. Over Milwaukee. Do I love Milwaukee? I think they can get it together if they just get rid of Doc Rivers now and get and do away with their mistake before, before it's too late. Because Doc Rivers was a mistaken hire. Yes, he was. But over the Sixers, over everybody. Over the Pacers, this team in Boston has the size, has the shooting, has defense and better outright flexibility. Now with Marcus Smart gone, it was the best move for Boston. Now you got June Holiday who can be a scorer while also being a lockdown defender. A better version of what you had in Marcus Smart. League's better, thankfully. And a better point guard as a whole. Who can get a bucket on his own? Or just be a straight-up facilitator? We love it. But this is where the questions really lie with this Boston squad. Oh, they're undeniable. Offensive rating and defensive rating are some of the best in the entire league. What are they averaging? What, 100? What are they averaging? 118? 118, 119 a game? On, on for the offensive rating? Defense is top five in the NBA, I believe. At least minimum top ten. But... Now that they're at this position, to where they are now so far and away better than everybody else in the league, seemingly. Because mind you, the gap between them is further than any other gap in the West. The gap between them and, shoot, I believe them and what, the fourth, fifth seed? Them and a lower seed in the East is greater than the gap between, the, I believe, the Timberwolves and Shoot, I think the ninth team in the West, or the number essentially number one team in the West versus the number nine team in the West. The gap is closer 
from that standpoint than the gap between the number one team in the East and maybe like the number five team in the West or number five team in the East as well. It's ridiculous how much they've just separated themselves. With all that being said, it was a, it's a kind way of saying they have to get it done this year. They have to. Because this is the team that they've been looking for. This is the team that we thought that, that old Boston squad was before Porzingis and June Holiday. And if they don't get it done with this squad together, with how cohesively they're working now, we have to start saying, is it time to separate Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Is it time to do the duo away and get a new running mate for Tatum? Is it time that there needs to be a second number two, a different type of Robin? Maybe instead of Robin, it's Nightwing. Maybe you need a Red Hood. Maybe you need a Batgirl. Maybe you need a Crypto if you want to make the, make, make the Superman in his psyche. Whatever the world you want to do. However you want to categorize, there's got to be a difference if it doesn't work out this season. That There's got to be a change. There has to be. This team is too good. That it keeps on falling by the wayside in terms of getting at a title, especially this year. If they fail this year with how great they look this year, without top to bottom, that organization is just flushed with talent and chemistry and commitment to both sides of the ball. There's no explanation as to why this wouldn't work this season and them get to a finals minimum, if not win it, with how they're looking now. And if they fail, there's got to be some serious questions asked in Boston. And it's got to be, do we need to let go of Jalen Brown? Do we need to get another person in? Have we run its course with the Tatum-Brown dynamic? Because it's been a couple years. We've been a dominant team. We've been growing and growing and getting better and better. We got to the hump and then we faltered. Now we're in position to get back there. Better than we used to be. And we still are at this crossroads as a team where we keep falling flat. If, in fact, they do fall in the playoffs this season, barring injury, we're going to have to look at it and say, hey, we might, be, we might have to do something with this. We might have to look at the trade Jalen Brown. We paid him all this money. We gave him all this responsibility. We trusted him. But he and Tatum just are not doing it. We're, this, we're always just this close, but never actively where our potential says we can be. Though we're trying our hardest, there's got to be a change, and that change has to come from Jalen Brown. He's got to be moved, in my opinion. It's got to be. They got to start shopping around, saying, hey, look, Tatum, we're getting, we getting you a different guy. It has to be. It has to be. Because this, this, can't, this can't keep going. They're so close to being where they can, where their potential says they can be. They've gotten every single possible piece that best equips for this team to be successful. From the rotations of the bench to their sixth man, to their big man in Porzingis, to their defensive point in June Holiday, to Jason Tatum. And with Jalen Brown secured, you're looking at you look you are looking at the squad as the definitive Celtic squad. If you want to make a run, this is the team to do so for a long time. But if you don't get it done and you fail again, especially in spectacular fashion, if it does get there, Jalen Brown, we might just be saying, hey, brother. You gotta, you gotta go. You, we, we can't. We got everything else is great, but we need something more than what you're bringing. We might have to go down that road. And if we go down that road, hey, who could it be? Maybe they try to get Paul George. Maybe they try to pluck Kawhi from the Clippers. 
Baby. And there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of great two guards around the league that they could go and look and say, hey, we need, we need you. We, we need you to finish this job, to finish this puzzle. Because we keep having one piece missing to complete the totality of this beautiful picture that we have in this team, which is us hoisting up a trophy. But since it seems like that missing piece just isn't coming to fruition, but we don't want to take up the whole or break up the entire puzzle. If one piece has to go and be replaced, it's got to be. It's got to be Jalen Brown. It has to be Jalen Brown. But beyond Jalen Brown, in the slew of not only speculation of what could happen if they lose, but the prospect of how dominant they can be with them keeping on winning. There's also another dominant player who's been absolutely running rough shot through the league, and that's Victor Wimbenyama. This brother, Wimbenyama, we talked about him earlier in the year. Now, after the All-Star break, he's nearly, for av- nearly averaged 5 by 5 20-point consensus couple of games for the last five games. It's ridiculous. Between 22 and 25 points a game, 11 rebounds, about about five assists, 4.8 assists, 2.8 steals, and 5.3 blocks. It's insane. Over the last five games. Averaging 21, I believe 12, and three blocks on the year. 3.6. It's ridiculous. And averaging about a steal and a half. Oh, and he's also averaging 2.8 steals in his last five games as well. Again, we're witnessing something special in this brother. We didn't, he might have not came in with the same level of hype as somebody like a Zion or a LeBron. But I don't say this lightly when I say, we could be looking at one one of the five greatest players that we have ever seen play this game of basketball. I don't say that. I've never said that about anybody in their rookie season. I've, I've said they, they can be great. I've said they can be all-stars. I've said, oh, man, this brother's going to be an MVP candidate. I've never said somebody can be top five since I've been started watching basketball. Coming into the league, never said somebody can be top five in the history of this game. Out the gate. Victor's, he, he's that anomaly. He's that anomaly. There is a poise that we see and a calmness and control that he has in this game coming into the league that we saw from only LeBron and Luka in my lifetime of being of watching basketball and understanding the history and of recently having to watch fully Luka Doncic's career from rookie season on. Yeah, the poise I've seen from him was only Rival by Wimby in this modern day of basketball. The translation of just fluidity from the Euro League to now, playing in France to here, from being able to not just adapt, but outmatch everybody, even when you're dominated. Like when Embiid put up 70 on him, we forget Wimby put up 30 on Embiid. Wimby put up 30 and a couple other stats on Embiid. It was still a battle, though Embiid clearly won it. Again, scoring 70 in an absolute dominating display outright. Wimby still, I believe, put up 30 against him. He's been averaging insane numbers. His ceiling, rather his floor, at minimum, if he keeps going right now, is one of the greatest defensive players we've seen in the history of the game. A multi-time defensive player of the year. On par defensively with somebody like a Hakeem Olajuwon. Potentially. A Ben Wallace. Potentially. A Mark Eaton. Potentially. A Tim Duncan. A David Robinson. The, 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 the Patrick Ewing. The great stoppers of the past. We could see that in victory. Right now, he's showing, he's, he's insane what this brother's doing. It's insane. He's already putting up or looking like what we touted 
Rudy Gobert as, as a defensive stopper in his first year in the league. Looks awesome. Looks like a better defender than Rudy Gobert. It's a more versatile defender while being one of the best rim protectors in the league. Outright can defend legitimately the one through five. Can guard every position. Can rock with and run with every position. On the perimeter, in the post, on the drive. Can get steals from anywhere. Has a a knack just for understanding when to jump or when not to jump at all and just hold his hands up, which some people still don't understand in the NBA. Being able to not just block a shot, but then make a three in transition. Run the floor by himself. Have the ability to be the point guard of his team. Having court vision and awareness to be able to make Luka or Jokic type passes not saying he's on that level but we've seen it before like I believe what was it two games ago he went got a pass in the post and immediately almost just slapped it away to his teammate who was cutting right behind him without looking it's insane he's, he's, he, there's such a feel of the game and understanding of what's around him of how to operate of how to function in the world of basketball at that type of height and size with that type of fluidity and that type of of body coordination. It's it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece to watch whenever he's on the floor. He's on a bad team. Yes, he is. Spurs are rebuilding. Yes, they are. But he's looking like a player who is setting himself up to, at minimum, fight Hakeem Olajuwon for the greatest defensive player we've ever seen. If he reaches that pinnacle. But at best, we could be looking at a player who, if he's doing all of this right now, when we worry about his size, when we worry about his weight, when we worry about his, I guess, Injury ability, if he can stay healthy, though he's been staying healthy, I believe all season. That may not even need to be a concern for his career. Though we may have some hiccups of there's still some stuff he needs to work on and that he can get better at. Like his three-point shooting. Maybe like his shot selection at times. But still, in spite of that all, we're looking at a man who is so far and away advanced beyond his years, understanding the game of basketball, that if he achieves what we think he can achieve, we could be looking at one of the five greatest players in NBA history. Somebody could be getting knocked out of that top five. The GOAT conversation could change outright by the end of his career. If it goes as spectacularly as it's looking right now, we're witnessing greatness. We're witnessing something we've never seen before. We're witnessing an era of basketball that could be all his own. We are witnessing potentially the next face of this sport in Victor Wimbayama. We really could. Beyond Jason Tatum, beyond John Morant, beyond Zion Williamson, beyond Anthony Edwards, it could very well be Victor who outshines them all and becomes the face of basketball. The torchbearer. The, 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 what we see in LeBron now, that could be Victor. Because both the way he carries himself, the way he's able to have the leadership aura around him, that poise and that dominating presence of just, I'm him. Not confidently, but, but it's just how he maneuvers. There's a trust that he has in himself. There is a sense of worth, not hearty, but understanding, okay, yes, I am this great. I have to operate differently. There's that sense about him, and I love it. There's a maturity. There is a leadership aspect to him that as he matures, is going to be unlocked. He will be relied upon. He will be a locker room leader. He will be somebody if everything bodes Correct. 
stays on the same course. He will be somebody who will be seen at as a cornerstone in not just whatever organization he is in, but in the league as a whole. That's what we could be seeing when it comes to Victor Wimbenyama. That's what we're looking at when it comes to Victor Wimbenyama. And it's a prospect that is so insane to see. Couple that with the amount of skills he's going to develop. The sky's limit for this brother. Again, we could be looking at one of the top five greatest players that this game has ever seen. When it's all said and done. If, in fact, we see that his maturity, his discipline, and his skill set not only stay the same in terms of maturity and discipline, but improve in terms of skills and, and acquiring new traits and abilities. My gosh. We could be watching the truest form of a unicorn that we've ever seen. And the quintessential greatest player of an era. Not of this era, because that's LeBron. Of the up-and-coming era. The young, the young cats. The young bloods. The young stars that are coming in and having the league. That era could be victors. All his own. And I'm a witness to see it all. Because it's going to be phenomenal to watch. But with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Oh, we've had a phenomenal time on this show. Please remember to leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can keep on building up this empire of a channel. We're still trying to get to a 1,000 subscribers. That is the ultimate goal, and I can't do it without your help. So again, keep on sharing. Keep on plugging the show with everybody. Play it in your car. Play it on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, we're on every podcasting platform and rate us five stars on there. We are building, we are growing, and it's all thanks to you and your support. So again, thank you for listening to The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. I've been your host. Y'all have been beautiful. Peace and love. We are out of here.